Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, this past month, we've been kind of journeying down this this road of your kingdom come. And we've been using the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, that all of us really know, or most of us, if you grew up in church or you've been around this area. For me, I grew up Catholic. This is, we knew this prayer since I was five years old. And my son even knows it today. But this, this series hasn't really been about the prayer, but it's been about one little line in there that Jesus prays about. It's your kingdom come. And we've been breaking down the kingdom of God as not just heaven one day, but watch this heaven here and now. We get confused sometimes because when we think about the kingdom of heaven or when the gospel says the kingdom of God, we just think of heaven one day. The problem is if we think of heaven one day, we won't be building and expanding his heaven here now, today. And we end up sitting on our hands and kind of doing nothing and going, okay, that's, that's great. But what we saw in the first week was where the king is, there the kingdom is as well. Wherever the king goes, the kingdom follows. And we looked at Jesus and his kingship of how he came from heaven to earth to die on a cross. He took the sins of the world, a perfect life. He didn't deserve death, but he took the sins of the world, mine and yours, on his shoulders. And then he died and was buried and he rose again. And he appeared to many disciples and many people. And then not only that, he went even further. Sometimes we stop right there, don't we? We think that Jesus is still just out there floating around, right? But instead, it said that in Acts 1, it says that he ascended into heaven and was seated at the right hand of the Father. What does that mean? That means, that means God the Father lifted his son Jesus up and enthroned him Lord and King over all. And so when he's talking about the kingdom of God is here, he's talking about himself bringing heaven back to earth right here and now. And we get to be a part of that. Why? Because a king's domain, a kingdom, watch this, a king's rule is always to reach and to rule over more and expanding areas. That's what a king does. He takes territory. And we get to be a part of that. Well, well, how, how do we do that? Well, we get to be a part because we get to be ambassadors for that. And one of the ways that we've seen over the past few weeks is through discipleship. It's Jesus, the great commandment, the great commission really is really Jesus going, go and make disciples. And we've talked about, you've heard Pastor Jacob, our senior pastor, talk about this gold book the past few weeks and really using it as a tool to help disciple other people. Because we're called to go and make disciples. What does that mean, Pastor It means we expand the kingdom. You are the kingdom. The kingdom lives within you. And we get to expand the kingdom by walking with one another. And these books are available out in the back. You're going to see them after service. You can purchase these. And I encourage you to get into a discipleship relationship. Walk through it with your wife, with your kids, or with a group, a discipleship group. It, it, you walk together with one another and you begin reading and understanding God's word, his nature, his character, his goodness. But here's what I found out is I found that when we begin to explore the gospel and begin to read the Bible more, how many know you get more questions, y'all? You're going like, some people in January 1, they end up reading Genesis chapter 1, right? Everybody starts there, like Genesis 1. I saw a tweet last year. It was like, shout out to everybody on January 1st who's reading Genesis 1, right? That's probably all of us in here. You go to Genesis 1, you begin reading. Well, by the time you get through Genesis, you're going like, do I even want to stay in the Bible anymore? Is this even something I want to do? Am I, do I even believe in God? You're like questioning everything, right? And, and many times when we walk in discipleship, the Holy Spirit begins to put his finger on things that we don't want his finger or his hand in. Amen? We're going, hey, God, leave that alone. Leave, leave that alone. I like this part over here. And you're telling me that that's not you? Ah, that's hard. And we end up kind of on this head-on collision and come face-to-face, really, with something that we disagree with. Think of it like this. When the king gives an order, then the challenge is, are we going to accept it or are we going to deny it? And that's what we're really faced with. And it's something we call 
lordship. Now, before we go any further, I just, this is an important poll. I really need your participation. So I need you to, I need you to really participate and engage. For those of you who don't do that, that's okay. I need you to do this today, okay? This is super important to where we're going. How many of you are coffee drinkers in here? Come on. Keep your hand up, okay? All right? Keep your hands up. Okay. How many of you, you're, you put... You put something extra in there, cream, sugar. You, you, you almost dilute it to the point where you know you don't really have coffee anymore, right? <laughs> Let's just be honest with ourselves. You can put your hands down, right? A lot of people in here. Uh, when I went to Starbucks the other day, it's interesting because if you see on the cups, they have like 27 check marks you can have on the cup, right? And what's amazing to me is like you can make any drink combination in the entire world, it feels like. And um, sometimes I'll order for a friend and they'll like, they'll text me their order and it's like a page long, right? On my text. I'm going, what is this? It's like a non-fat, tall grande, double frappe latte with a double twist, single shot, light on the milk, splash of, of vanilla, caramel and chocolate. I'm like, what are you making here? A cake? Like what is going on? Right, it's unbelievable. Like Starbucks has really opened us up to something extremely new. But you know what's crazy is I did some research yesterday. Is that Starbucks has so many customizable options? You can have eighty-seven thousand drink combinations, y'all. Eighty-seven. Some of y'all tried all of them too, and I love it. Okay, eighty-seven thousand different combinations customizable. Why? Because we live in a customizable culture, don't we? We live in a culture that in a restaurants where shops that cater to our needs and we love it. I love it, right? It's amazing that when you go on your app and you're searching on your phone, say you're looking for shoes, all of a sudden you go to a different website and it like ads pop up for shoes and you're going, how did they know that? That's creepy. You know, it's like everything is customizable. Right? You go on Nike and you can buy customizable sneakers. You can customize it to where you want. And I believe this customizable culture and this mindset, really it's been a subjective mindset, has slowly sifted its way into the church. Think about it for a second. And we want things to be customizable. And we want, watch this, Jesus to be customizable as well where we want different kinds of combinations and we want different kinds of, and we check the box here, but we don't check it there because that doesn't line up with what I want to do. Jesus told me to do that, but that doesn't line up. So I'm going to just check this. And we come up with this cup of Jesus, this customizable cup of Jesus. And I'm going to be honest, just like it's not coffee, it's not Jesus either. It's not Jesus either. Some of you are old enough to remember the Burger King commercial, Have It Your Way. How many know that? You're old enough to remember, Have It Your Way. That was a Burger King slogan. I believe we don't get King Jesus, we get the Burger King Jesus. We pick and choose and we go, I want the Whopper with the, no, I don't want the tomato or the lettuce, I want this. And we pick and choose and we customize Jesus and the kingdom of God to fit us. Now, why do we do that? Why, why do we do that? I think it's the same reason why, watch this, that we don't have to teach our kids to be selfish. Amen, parents? Come on. They know how to be selfish as soon as they come out of the womb, I promise you. It's me. They cry when they're hungry, right? And that's about it. And then they get older and they still just cry when they're hungry. That's about it. Some of y'all cry when you're hungry as well. I do as well. But why? Because we don't have to teach selfishness. Adam and Eve ruined it for us in the garden. Why? When they disobeyed God. They had a perfect kingdom with a perfect king and a perfect ruler, yet they messed it up for all of us by disobedience. And see, our struggle with obedience to God has continued and is in our DNA right when we come out of the womb. That's why when God tells us to do something, we go, you, are you sure you want me to do that? Let me, let me just question, are you sure you want me to do that? That's why when we're walking through this discipleship book with one another and we bump up against something like tithe and we go, but I just don't have the money. God said you didn't have to have the money. He said, whatever money you have, you're not responsible for what you don't have. You're only responsible for what he gives you. And so he's going, okay, well, what about baptism? He's just going, if Jesus did it, if it's good enough for Jesus, good enough for me. And so we look at it, and, but we make things optional, don't we? We pick and choose in this word what we're trying to do. And oftentimes we get a watered down 
Jesus, we get a watered down gospel and we're wondering why it's not satisfying us. How many know it can be difficult though to follow Jesus, to do everything that he's commanded to do. Why? He's a loving father and a great, he's a great king. He would never give us something and tell us to do something that wasn't going to benefit us. I'm telling you, it's a blessing of God, but it doesn't make it any easier. I remember when seven years ago, we were trying to figure out whether we were going to move down here to Lafayette, Louisiana or not. Pastor Jacob offered us a job out of the blue. I told myself and I told God three months before I would never go into ministry and I would never be a pastor. Be careful what you say, okay? (laughs) And in the moment that Pastor Jacob asked me to come say, I want you to come be a pastor at our church, I'm going, I don't think I want to do this. And we started praying about it. Slowly but surely, it was this battle of the wills It was, I knew what God was telling me, but I also knew what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. And you've maybe been there before where you come to this collision and this this really turning point and decision point in your life where you have to decide who is the king of your life, you or Jesus. And that's so difficult, y'all. It sounds so easy, but it's so difficult in so many different realms. Because this is true lordship. This is when our lordship to Jesus is truly tested. Now, when you hear the word Lord, we all get confused at times because we don't use that term anymore. I hope and pray you don't call anyone Lord, okay? We just don't use those. We don't have Lord as a title. We're not like Britain where you're, you, know, you give Lord so-and-so. You know, we don't do those things. But So Lord is a weird term for us. But Many of you who grew up in church, you just go, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. You know, and like you, you say those things, but we don't really understand that we say Lord and Savior. It's almost like peanut butter and jelly. We just think they go together no matter what, right? We never really take it apart because if you just have one without the other, it's not right. But they mean two different things, two different kinds of things. You see, Savior, listen to me, write this down if you have something or take a picture. Savior is what he did for you. Listen to me. Savior is what he did for you. He died for our sins. He lived a sinless life and took the penalty that we deserve and he rose again. This is what we accept. We receive him as Savior. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to work for it. He has saved us from our sins when we couldn't save ourselves. This is the part that is great. It's easy. It's fun. But Lord, write this down. Lord is your responsibility to him and your response to him. Savior is what he did for you. Lord is your response to him. And listen to me. This, people get this confused. You don't choose to make him Lord. He is already Lord. We just get to submit and come under his lordship, y'all. That's why when when we're born again and we accept Jesus and we commit our lives to him, he's our Lord and our savior. We're saying Lord, as in your boss, your master, your sovereign over all, you are Lord of all. Listen to me now. The reason that we can go out and minister to all of Acadiana is because he is Lord of all, not just Lord of OSC. He's not just Lord of your life. And I want that to be, I want him to be Lord of your life. That is important, but he is Lord of all. How do we know that? Because we see in Philippians, Paul clearly tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord, y'all. So he is Lord no matter if we choose to make him Lord of our life or not. But guess what? We get to come underneath and submit to that lordship. And when we do that, there is a beautiful picture of what that looks like. When we go, man, my preferred lifestyle, God, I would want to live this way, but you're telling me to live this way. I'm submitting myself under the lordship of Jesus Christ because he is king. I'm a part of his kingdom. I want to expand his kingdom. He's a loving father. He provides for me. He takes care of me. He didn't say it was going to be easy, but he'd always say he would be with me. And with that, we can find the benefit of it all, y'all. Lordship sounds so like, oh, I got to follow somebody else. I'm just going to let you know right now, you're following someone. The question is, is it Jesus or is it a customizable Burger King Jesus? Is it a have it your way, Jesus? Well, this morning, I want to turn and look in God's word. I want to I help us this morning. 
For the next few minutes, we're going to look at John chapter 6, majority of John chapter 6. It's a, it's, a, it's a very long chapter, but it's great for what we're about to see. And I want to receive the responses of three different groups that we're going to see in this narrative that John gives us in this encounter that Jesus has with three different groups. It's one big story that he speaks to, but there are three distinct groups and their responses. And, and it's the crowd. I'll give it to you already. It's the crowd, the committed, and the core. The crowd, the committed, and the core. So we're going to go through that. I'm going to let you know. We're going to read in John chapter 6, but let me back you up because we're going to start in the middle of John chapter 6 in just a second. What's interesting in John chapter 6, at the beginning of John chapter 6, we see that Jesus feeds the 5,000. We've, we've maybe you've been in uh, church before and you've heard him feeding the 5,000 where a little boy brought his fish and his loaves and he multiplied it and it was 5,000 men, but they think it was anywhere from 15 to 20,000 people total. They sat down in groups of 15 to, to, to uh, 50 to 100 and they sat there and they, they went ahead and just ate until they were full. And matter of fact, they had leftovers afterwards. But then right after that, we see that in, in John 6, that they, they then decide to go to the other side. So the disciples get on the boat. And this is when the storm kicks up and Jesus stays back. But then he just starts ghost walking, right? And they're going, it's a ghost. It, it, it's a ghost. And they're going, no, it's Jesus. And Peter tries to walk on water and he fails, but he was the only one that actually tried. And, and so then they, they get over to the other side of the lake where they were trying to go. And this is where we really pick up in John chapter six, starting in verse 25. Here's what it says. And when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. We see the crowd enter in here and they're going, when did you get over here, Jesus? This is crazy. You didn't leave. We walked around. What do you, we walked all night because we fed on the loaves that you gave us. We walked all night because you gave us provision. And Jesus was clearly saying to him, why are you working for physical benefit when spiritual life can be found right there with you? He's looking at him going, okay, you're looking for the benefit of Jesus and there's nothing wrong with that, y'all. There are benefits in Jesus. But listen to me now, what's interesting is they want the benefit and the bread without the buy-in or the surrender. They want the benefit without the buy-in. And Jesus was trying to help them. He's going, hey, y'all, you're coming to me for food. You're coming to me for all this stuff. And yes, I'm going to give it to you. But I'm telling you right now, don't work for food that's going to spoil because that's going to rot and leave. I want you to work for something that will never end. And he even says, what's so cool about this, he says, verse 27, he said, don't work for the food that spoils, but for the word food that endures to eternal life. Who has it? Which the son of man will give you. He's going, you came to me for physical food, but I want to give you something that's going to last far, far longer. Far, far longer. He goes on and says, on him, God, the father has placed the seal of his approval. You know, it's interesting when we see the crowd come over we see this encounter and we see this response to the benefit of Jesus. And Jesus is clearly saying, you're following me for the wrong reasons. Now, what's interesting is we're going to look a little further, but he's saying it's not about, he's, he's saying that because he wants to test how badly they want the bread that he's about to give. What Jesus does so well, y'all, is he sets them up and then he knocks them down. <laughs> he's going, you want some bread? You want some, you want some bread? Don't seek the bread that's going to seek the bread that I'm about to give you. And they're going, what bread, Jesus? What bread do you have? Right? Like we would say. And here's what he tells them. We jump down to verse 48. He says this. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. Verse 51. And I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. 
This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the, for the, give the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, saying, how can this man give us this bread to eat? To, uh, excuse me, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus says in verse 53, he said, I tell you the truth, unless you eat this flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, in all honesty, how many of you have read this before and you've struggled with this? I, I, my hand's way raised. I'm going, I don't want to eat flesh or drink blood. I'm not going to lie. I'm not a cannibal. I, I love eating, love eating, but I'm just going like, I don't want to do that. This just sounds so weird to me, right? It just sounds like one of those things, like this is one of those things that for the longest time, I would just kind of read over and go, mm-hmm, 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 right? And you just go like, yeah, 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 yeah. That, that sounds great. Let me get to the good part. The truth will set you free, right? We get to those things. And we say amen and hallelujah to those. But he says, eat my flesh, drink my blood. If you don't, you have no life in you. Verse 54, but he says this, but whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Now I'm sitting there going, really, this is going to be difficult to, to really explain here, right? This is going to be, uh, if, I'm not going to lie. If I was a disciple sitting right there and I was a follower of Jesus, I would have turned and ran. I'm like, there's a cult. Never mind. Let me leave here right now, right? This is a cold. He's asking me to drink something. We know what that means, right? He's asking me to drink something. He's asking me to eat something. This must be strange. But verse 56, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, watch this, remains in me and I in him. Whoever, I'm gonna read again. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. You know, in South Louisiana, we, we love to eat, y'all, don't we? Come on, we love to eat. And we have some amazing food. The hard part about living here is the food as well. Amen. <laughs> Why? Because what you consume, you become. Don't we? Some of y'all like, I'm just a lot of gumbo then. Here we go. <laughs> but it's the truth. And this is what we consume with our eyes, what we consume with our ears, what we consume with our hands. It's not just about what we eat. It's not talking about physically but he's talking about spiritually. We become that. We become that. And Jesus said, eat my flesh, drink my blood, and you'll remain in me. What is he saying? He's saying, get all of me that you can and remain with me. That word remain means to abide, to be with him. He's saying, I don't want you to eat anything physically. I want you to be connected to me spiritually spiritually, that there's something deeper. It's easy to eat and drink. It's very hard to be with all the time, to remain in, to abide by. And listen to me, why Jesus said that was because he was more interested in being with you than what you can do for him, y'all. And he's going, look, listen, he's saying, I am me and the, and the father will be with you as well. What's so interesting about this is we see Jesus's life is, and we see him and we go, I want to be like Jesus. And that is what it means to be a Christ-like follower. We want to be like Jesus in action and in attitude, but don't miss this. The biggest attribute that Jesus had was his oneness and connection to the Father, not what he did for other people. I'm going to say it again. Some of y'all lost it, okay? His biggest attribute and what he wanted us to really get from him was his absolute divine and consistent and constant connection and oneness in being with the Father. Why? Because he knew if he had that source and we have that source, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We can do all things. So some of y'all going, well, I just, I don't do outreach because I don't really love people. Amen. I'm with you. I know people are here. To, I get you. You might be one of them. I might be one of them. <laughs> But the reason that I can tolerate and I can be with and I can love people that I don't necessarily like or I don't necessarily want to do is because I'm connected with the Father who gives me the source in order to pour out. Listen to me. You and I have nothing to offer anyone else. But if we're connected and one with the Father, listen to me, we have everything to give, y'all. We have everything to give. 
So he's saying, consume me, be a part of me. Let me show you what this looks like. Verse 56, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Verse 57, just as a living father sent me and I live because of the father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. He's talking about real life. He's talking about eternal life. He's talking about living a life of purpose and meaning, not just being alive. That's not what he's talking about. Here's what he said, verse 58. This is the bread that came down from heaven. He's describing himself. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Verse 59, he said this while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. You know, what's interesting about all of this is the crowd there, and I, this is, we're still on the crowd, the crowd struggled with the expectation of what the, the, the Messiah would look like. They struggled with it. I don't know about you, but I've struggled with this. At times, I want the kingdom and I want Jesus to be a certain way. My expectations are one way and God just comes and wallops them out of the way, doesn't he? And he goes, those are the wrong expectations. You see, the crowd, the Jews, you know what they were looking for? They were looking for freedom from Rome. They were looking for a savior that would come in military reign and he would say, guess what? You've been in this tyranny for too long from the Roman government. I'm going to take you out and you're going to be my people. And that Messiah, that messianic king would rule on earth in military power. And many Jews are still looking for that today. They're still wondering when, it's, when he's going to come back. But what they missed was their expectations of the real kingdom were completely off. It was wrong. And now, I know nobody has a problem in here admitting when you're wrong. <laughs> That's a lie. We all have problems admitting when we're wrong. But their expectation of the king was off. I know many of us, when you started walking this Christian walk and you actually started doing it, not just attending church, you thought it would look differently than it really was. For some of you, I've heard stories of people that just go, well, I thought my life was going to be just all fixed. Everything was going to be magically different. And it's not. I feel the same. I look the same. Sometimes I even do the same things. And they get irritated with it because it doesn't line up with their expectations. You see, what's, what's so interesting is that Jesus was speaking to church people, y'all. That verse 59, what did he say? He said, he said he was teaching in the synagogue. He wasn't speaking to people who didn't believe in God or didn't come to church. He was speaking to the church folk, y'all. He was going, guess what? The kingdom I'm about to build is going to be the best kingdom you'll ever be a part of. But watch this. That kingdom comes with a kingdom demand. It's free to get in, but it's going to cost something to stay there. We don't have to work or earn for our salvation. He did that for us. But you better believe every day I fight tooth and nail to say he is Lord of my life all of my life, every part of my life. He is Lord of all, and I want to come underneath that lordship. Why? Because everything in this world is telling me, be independent, be customizable, do what you do, stand up and be a man. Well, the man that I know is going to eat flesh and drink blood of Jesus. I'm going to remain in him. Why? Because I've tested, I've seen, I've tasted, and I've seen that the Lord is good. And I've done it too many times where I've fallen. I've tried to do it my way and it doesn't work. But then I do it God's way and it's going, oh, that makes sense now. I tell my kids oftentimes with obedience, uh, they, they ask the question, why? Why, daddy? Why? Why do I have to do this? Why? And here's what I tell them. Be obedient first and you get the understanding second. Obedience always comes first. Well, God, I don't understand this. How am I supposed to eat flesh and drink blood? How, I mean, the, the Jews even said that. 
they were arguing and they were going like, whoa, 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 whoa. How can we eat your flesh, bud? You know, they were like wondering what is going on with this crazy dude that wants us to eat and drink himself. They're going, how can we even do that? What's interesting is they asked the question, how? They questioned, the crowd questioned Jesus about how. You know you're in a dangerous place, when you know the Holy Spirit speaking to you, you read God's word, there's a conviction and you go, well, how am I supposed to do that? And Jesus goes, yoo-hoo, I'm right here. I'm gonna help you do it. You see, the crowd just wanted something from Jesus. They didn't want to do anything with Jesus. And so we jump to the next section because then after the crowd came the committed. And it's like Jesus was talking to all of them. They weren't three different groups. He, they were all of them, but he was zeroing in. This is what Jesus does so well in the gospel. He was zeroing in on really what it meant and who those people, what they needed to hear. Then come the committed, verse 60. Here's what it says. On hearing it, many of his disciples, whoa. What do you mean disciples, pastor? Because it says disciples in there. Yeah, those were people who were following Jesus. They said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept this? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? I love when Jesus asks questions because he, he doesn't really care about the answer. He does, but it's like, when you, it's like rhetorical. Does this offend you? Really? Really? But think about it right there. If the crowd questioned, the committed grumbled. Now, listen. I'm not sure what's more dangerous, a questioner or a grumbler, y'all. A grumbler is someone who, who, when they hear, eat my flesh, drink my blood, you're going like, did you hear what he just said? No, he didn't just say it. And you're grumbling like, oh my goodness, what did we get ourselves into? Do you see Pastor Crit, Pastor David, Pastor Jake, do you see what they're doing at OSC? And then you see all these grumblers. Grumbling is dangerous because it's really close to gossip. And you hear grumbling and grumbling, meaning they weren't, even, they weren't even able to come out and really ask Jesus, were they? They didn't have the guts to come out and go, I don't like this. How do we do this? No, instead, they were grumbling and Jesus knew. And so what did he say? He said, does this offend you? Man, I love, I love looking at Jesus on that front. Does this offend you? Many times we've been offended by people. It could be in here. You could have been offended by me or Pastor David, Pastor Jacob. You could have been offended by a boss, a coworker. Many times we, we get offended by many different things. And that offense can take you down a deep, dark hole, y'all. Because the offense doesn't hurt the person who offended. It usually hurts the one that is offended in there, in their heart. And it holds them back. And Jesus knew that his words would do something to them that would make them shift. And he questioned and he tested their lordship and said, does this offend you? There's nothing wrong with being offended by the gospel. Listen to me. That's called conviction of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing wrong with being offended by the gospel. There are many times that God offends me so that I can know him better. Why? Because I have preconceived notions and walls built up in my mind that are wrong, expectations that are wrong, ideologies and theologies that are absolutely wrong, built on nothing but maybe a tweet or on an Instagram post or on what sounds good to my lifestyle that I want to live. And so when he offends, he's getting at something. He's saying, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And he's going, they're grumbling, grumbling. He's like, does this offend you? Does this offend you that I've asked you to go this extra step, even when you don't understand what it means? Does it offend you that I ask for your obedience before your understanding? Does it offend you that I'm asking you to be in the kingdom and to have a kingdom's demand, which is to give everything. Does it offend you? That question, I don't know about you, when I read it, it took me back. 
Because I believe he paused and he just sat there and looked at him. And this is where really the rubber meets the road, y'all. Because offense, you can do one of two things. You can run or you can stay and deal with it. Let's see what, what, what they did. Verse 62, Jesus continues, does this offend you? Then he says, then what if you see the son of man ascend to where he was before? He's saying, if you can't trust and understand when I say remain in me, eat my flesh, drink my blood, then how are you going to understand when you see the son of man ascending to where he was before in heaven? How are you going to even understand that? Verse 63, for the spirit gives life and the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which one of them did not believe and who would betray him. Verse 65, he went on to say, this is why I tell you, told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Then, verse 66, this is scary. This is where the response was. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So we see the crowd, they questioned the committed, they grumbled, and this grumbling then led to leaving, y'all. The grumbling led to leaving. The cost of discipleship is a high price to pay. The cost to be in the kingdom and with the king is a high price to pay, but guess what? You and I didn't have to pay that price. Jesus did. I was talking to somebody the other day and they were telling how they were in a discipleship relationship and, the, and they just go, you know, that this man was challenging this other guy and they were, he was giving up stuff in his life and giving it over. It was the lordship thing. And he just goes, I feel like I can't do anything. I have nothing anymore. You know, maybe you've been there and you're just like continually just giving up because the Holy Spirit's like poking and prodding at things. You're like, I have nothing left. But isn't that the point? What do you mean, Pastor Chris? Isn't the point to get us to a point where all we need is Jesus and Jesus is all we need? That we are independently dependent upon him? Isn't that the point? Where he goes, the reason I want your tithe is I don't want your money, I want your heart. That the reason I want your relationship and for you to get out of that relationship is because I want your heart? And there's a codependency that is super unhealthy there. The reason that I, we can keep going, that I want your eyes is because I want you to get away from the lusts of this world. The reason that I want, watch this, I want your Facebook post. The reason I want your Facebook post is because I want your allegiance more to the kingdom of God than to any other political kingdom that you have. And God will do whatever it takes to get you to him. It is the grace and the glory of God. Think about it for a moment. He will take away everything that is precious to you so he can give you everything that is precious to him, y'all. But sometimes some of us are holding on so tightly to the things of this world that we can't let it go and receive what God has for us, y'all. You see, the committed, they grumbled. And if you don't get that grumbling out and process through it and pray through it, tell God how disappointed you are. Tell God how angry you are that you have to give up something like this. Tell God, be honest. Do, do you think he doesn't already know that you don't like giving it up? Do you think you're hiding? You think you're surprising him with anything? He knows all of you yet still loves all of you. He knows all of you. He knows what you don't want to give up and he still loves you all the same. They grumbled. It's painful. He says, if you give all, I'll give you even more. It might not look the same. I'm not going to, you give all your money. He might not give you money back. I wish that would be a great investment. Amen. <laughs> but he'll give you something even greater. He'll give you something even greater. Give you something even greater.
then Jesus turns to the core, and here's where we're going to close. Verse 67. He asked the question. He turns to the core, the core 12, and he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. The crowd, they just questioned. They didn't understand. The committed just grumbled. And Jesus turns to his 12, who he chose, And he looks at him, and I just, man, I see a, a thought, the father coming through Jesus in this moment. He wasn't begging them. There was a sensitivity to what they were thinking, what they were feeling, and he said, hey, Peter, James, John, Philip, all of you, you don't want to leave too, do you? He wasn't begging them to stay. There was a father's love and a tenderness that he was speaking to them. There was a tenderness and a spirit of oneness that he wanted to have with them. And he said, you're not going to leave me too, are you? And he questioned, he tested their lordship. And who spoke up for the 12? Peter. <laughs> As always, he's like the spokesman of the 12. He speaks up, verse 68. Here's what he says. Simon Peter answered him, Lord. Hmm. The first line says it all. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Sometimes, listen to me, we just need to declare what Jesus is so we can rest in in our souls that he's good, he's well enough to take care of us. But what I think is most interesting when I read this the other day, is that Peter doesn't really answer the question He doesn't say what, watch this, he says who. He says to whom shall we go? Peter knew this truth, that everyone has a Lord of their life. It's just a matter of it's a capital L or a lowercase l. Peter knew that no matter who you are or where you are, there is a Lord of your life. It might not be a person. It might be a thing. For some of us, it's football or sports or food. For others, it's our spouse. For others, it's a TV screen. None of these are bad things per se. But if they become Lord and controller of your life, master of your life, that's why Peter said, to whom shall we go? He said, the only one that has spoken eternal life to us has been you. Where else are we going to go, Jesus? Where else are we going to go? At the end of the day, listen to this and write this down. We're closing. Lordship is giving all I know of me to all I know of Jesus. Lordship is giving all I know of me to all I know of Jesus. You might be sitting here this morning, you're going, I just don't know a lot about Jesus. That's okay. Give to him of what you know and give, give yourself everything that you know. Once again, he doesn't make you responsible for what you don't know, but just to obey what you do know. those areas that he's called you to surrender, begin to surrender and go, I'm coming under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Don't hold anything back. 
because the more that comes up, the more you're going to have to surrender. As you're walking through this book and you're committing and recommitting to Jesus Christ. You see, we think repentance is a one-time thing that leads to salvation. But what we're confused about is repentance is an ongoing process where we get up each day and we repent. What does that mean? It means we turn away from one thing and we go to the next thing, which is Jesus. And every day I repent in the morning. I repent, God. I rebuke all that will come against me. For you are the Lord and the King of my life. If you want me to go, I'm going to go. If you want me to stay, I'm going to stay. I'm not holding anything back. Listen, on this journey, you're going to face some truths when you go through this with somebody. And the hard part is, many times God uses someone else to point out something that you don't want to see. Ooh, it hurts. You're like, why can't God just speak to me in an audible voice? I'm with you 100%, okay? But he uses fallen, broken vessels to show his goodness, his grace, and his mercy towards us. I don't know about you, but for as long as I can remember, I've tried to prove that I've been good enough in everything that I've done. The hardest thing for me to allow Jesus to do was to watch this define my success. Because it's been striving after striving after striving. Be good enough, get applause, get accolades. Be good enough, get applause, get praise. And my validation and identity was coming from my success in this world and it had nothing to do with Jesus, what Jesus said about me. And you know what God did instead? He gave me everything I ever wanted. You're going, that sounds pretty good. I want that plan, right? It was the best and the worst thing that could have ever happened to me. Many of you heard the story before, but when I won the Super Bowl, it was one of the most depressing times of my life. Everything I put my hope in was being good enough. And when you have this big ring and they're calling you a champion and a hero and it still doesn't fill you up, something's wrong. He said, I want to be Lord of your life. So I'll give you everything you want. It still won't measure up. Just eat my flesh and drink my blood. Remain in me. You'll have everything you need and you'll live forever. It's the blessing and the hard work of the kingdom. And the king's demand and the kingdom demand is so much more. Because as Thomas Akempis said, God, you serve me more than I serve you. You serve me more than I serve you. I'm not giving up something that you haven't already died for. Listen to me, for those of you who are still holding back, he's already paid the price for it. You don't have to pay a price. Well, how do I give it up, Pastor Chris? What does that look like? As honest as I am, it's just a matter of letting go and saying, God, take this from me. Just take this from me. Father, I thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you for everyone in this room, God. There's, your spirit is moving, and we sang today, Lord, the song, Have My Heart. What an appropriate song, God, for an appropriate message of lordship. Have my heart. You can have it completely, God. We don't have to make you Lord. You're already Lord. We just get to submit and come underneath your Lordship, God. And it is beautiful and wonderful, God, in all of its splendor. But I know there are people here this morning, God, that are just struggling with different things. It could be addiction, depression, anxiety. It feels like they're trapped and they're twisted and they're held down. But God, as you said in your word, they shall know the truth and the truth shall set them free. 
maybe that's you in here. If you're just going, right, Pastor Chris, I'm just struggling. I, I, just, I need to let go of some things. I just want you to lift your head, look at me, and, and put your head back down. Thank you, I see you. You can put your head back down. Thank you, I see you. This morning, we're just going to make right where you are an altar of praise. Father, this morning, you know all the eyes that looked up and the heads that looked up. I thank you, Lord, for their willingness to just put the anxiety, the depression, the financial burdens right there, lay it down at the foot of the cross. You're the king that can take care of it. It might not look what we want it to look like, God, but it's going to be handled. So we thank you for your presence, God, this morning. We thank you for taking it all completely. And we give everything to you. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. Maybe some are in here and you go, I've I've never committed my life to Jesus Christ. I've never said yes to a relationship with him. The Bible says clearly in Romans, it says, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. There's a belief in a confession and we commit our hearts to him. It's not magic. It's not, it has nothing to do with a prayer. It has everything to do with faith. Just receiving what God has done. That he paid a price for you. And we get to believe and we get to confess. It's our response. How do I do that? Simple as A, B, C. A, we just admit we're sinners. All of us have sinned and we get to repent of that sin, turn away from it and be believe in Jesus that he died on a cross for our sins and see we confess him as Lord, as Lord and as savior of our life. If you're going, Pastor Chris, I want to commit my life to Jesus. Today is the day. I'm just going to pray a simple prayer. As a matter of fact, we're all going to pray it together. If you're going, Pastor Chris, include me in that prayer. The prayer does not save you. Your faith saves you. But if you're going, Pastor Chris, I want to be included in that prayer today. Would you just raise your hand on the count of three? One, two, three. Thank you. I see you. I see you. Awesome. One, two, three, four, five. Hands up. Thank you. I see you. Awesome. Thank you, God. You can put your hands down. Come on, church, let's pray this prayer together. Repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you, no matter what it costs me. And I declare that God is my father. Jesus is my Lord and savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper and heaven is now my home in Jesus name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Come on. Can we give it up for those who raised their hand to be saved today?